I know we do not have the music to cue you like normal. Uh, Miss Karen is homesick today, so we want to be in prayer for, for Miss Karen. But as we make our way back to our seats, want to remind the, the little ones, our children, that they can head out to Children's Church. We do have Children's Church from ages nursery all the way up to second grade. Uh, and they are lining up and heading out here in just a, a couple minutes, um, or as we speak, really. For the rest of us, we are going to continue our study in the book of Acts, which means we are going to be in Acts chapter 1 still. We're going to finish up chapter 1 today, and we're going to read verses 12 all the way through verse 26. Um, kind of a long reading today, but we're going to kind of see what happens um, to close out the chapter. And so if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read verse, uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. <clears throat> and the Word of God says this, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And he wants you to be very sure that he know that you know which Judas they're talking about. They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, her bro and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among them, and the brothers and sisters, um, they number, the number of people who were together was about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who, because, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language, this field was called uh, Hekdama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his, portion, his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from his baptism of John, until the day that he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in the apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Please be seated. This portion in the book of Acts almost feels like a, a little bit of housekeeping before we jump into the, the Pentecost story and, and the things that are going to transpire in, in Acts chapter 2. But in a lot of ways, as we close out the chapter, we get this kind of short blurb or this short season in the life of the followers of the Jesus and the life of the disciples where they are waiting. 
And we talk about waiting a lot here because I think one of the waiting, well, maybe one of the reasons we talk about waiting a lot at, at our church is because I hate waiting. I am, I am a horribly impatient person. Um, just this morning, uh, I, I had to kind of check myself because I was getting annoyed at, at a, a family member because I was texting her and needing information, and she was not texting back at a, a quick enough speed for my liking, and so I started being like, because I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting. My children, um, if there's one time during the week where I don't behave, it is when I pull up to a roundabout, and the per you, get, you already know where this is going, right? And I pull up to the roundabout, and there is a person just there, not entering the roundabout, not nothing, just there. I had Daryl in the car with me one time, and I was like, go! And then I realized I had Daryl in the car with me, and I thought, that was a great witness that day, Daryl. I don't like waiting. I've never been good on waiting, but the thing is, is I would probably venture, as we look around the room, not many of us in this room like waiting. And, and I don't think we can blame society or cell phones or anything like that. Like, nobody likes waiting. In fact, we have made, there's an entire group of people out there and, and, and marketers and scientists that, that study waiting in order to help with waiting. Because if there's one thing that, that people that like maybe uh, own a business or anything like that, they need to make sure that their customers don't have a bad experience. And one of the number one ways that a customer can have a bad experience is if they have to wait too long. In fact, 40 years ago, so think about this, before cell phones, before the internet, before all the things that we like to scapegoat, 40 years ago, a guy by the name of David Meister wrote an article. This guy was a, a business consultant, all that stuff, and he wrote an article about the eight ways that a business or that a company can, can make wait times seem not so bad. And even today, we can see how his article and what he said about waiting has affected everything from the doctor's office to Disney World. Any place that you might have to wait, what can you do to, to make that wait seem not so bad? Listen to, to these suggestions or these things that, that uh, David Meister came up with. First off, he said, unoccupied time always feels longer than occupied time. And when you think about this, this is 20 years before we ever had cell phones that this article was written. This was long before you could sit on your phone and play Candy Crush or, or doom scroll Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. They recognize that if you are sitting there with nothing to do, it seems way longer. And if you're not sure about that, I will let you take a long car ride with my six-year-old and I will give him nothing to do. The state of Missouri has never set, felt so large than when Joseph did not have anything to do and I had to keep driving with him. It's one of those things that we recognize it is because of this when you have to go to a waiting room or where you are waiting in line anywhere, they are going to have TVs, they are going to have magazines, even aquariums. How many of you have been to a doctor's office or been somewhere and they had an aquarium in there? That seems funny, but you can really get distracted by watching fish swim around an aquarium, can't you? All of those things are to keep you from having unoccupied time. 
A lot, another thing that he, he points out is people like the feeling that things are progressing. Yes, you may be waiting, but if you feel like you're getting closer to your destination or closer to whatever you are trying to do, it doesn't seem so bad. This is one of the reasons why you may go to the doctor's office and you start off, you check in, and then you sit in the waiting room, but then they'll move you to an examination room, but then you'll wait in the examination room a little bit longer because it gives you the feeling like you are progressing and getting further along. You also see this in restaurants when they hand you a menu when you're sitting down and waiting, so you have not only something to occupy you, but you feel like because you're getting a chance to start to pick out what you're going to eat, that you're moving the process along. Number three, they say that anxiety makes things feel like they take longer. If you are in a place where you are stuck waiting, maybe at an appointment or in the grocery store, and you have some place to be, you have to get back to work, you have to get on to the next task, you have something going on and you're concerned about being late or missing something or anything like that, these are things that can create problems. This is why grocery stores have music, because when you're waiting in line, they hear you get to listen to the music, and that's supposed to kind of help ease your maybe stress or anxiety that comes with wanting to get to the next thing. I have officially hit the age where the music that I grew up with is the music playing at the grocery store. I'm okay with that. If I get to shop for cereal and listen to Mambo Number no. 5, I don't have a problem with that. But it's something that helps it move on. Uncertain weights are always feel longer than, than uh, finite uh, certain weights. When you go to the restaurant and the server tells you it'll be about 15 minutes, often you, when it's all said and done, you're like, that wasn't so bad. If you go to a theme park, to an amusement park, and you're waiting in line for the roller coaster and they have that sign that says wait time is about 20 minutes from this point, those are all to help you feel like waiting is taking less time. He goes on to say unexplained waits take longer than explained waits. This means that if they tell you what they're doing, we're just cleaning off your table, we're just getting your room ready, or even the pizza tracker on the Domino's app, all of those explain to you what's happening and why you're waiting. That makes it better. Uh, unfair waits are always longer than equ equitable waits. That's why some things will show you the wait list. If you go to certain places, they'll have it on uh, a screen so they let you know that everybody's waiting in the line together. The value of service can often, often make weights more bearable, which is why a lot of times in waiting rooms is where they will display their awards, their accomplishments, and their food reviews. Lastly, solo weights always feel longer than group weights. And so often they encourage you to go out to eat with friends, bring someone with you to the doctor's office, or any of those type of things. See, businesses recognize that we don't like waiting and have come up with all sorts of strategies to make waiting more bearable. But we all also know that still, no matter what they do and all the things they do to make waiting more bearable, waiting is just no fun. And in our passage today, we see how the followers of Jesus were forced to wait. Jesus in our passage today has already ascended into heaven, but per his own instructions, they were not allowed to leave Jerusalem until, as Jesus' own words say in verse 8, until they receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. 
if we can kind of do the math in this section from if Jesus appeared to his disciples um, around that time of, the, of Passover for 40 days after the resurrection, and, the, and we know that, that the Holy Spirit came upon them on Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover, we can roughly assume that from when Jesus ascended to when Pentecost happened was somewhere around a week or a week and a half. So for over a week, the apostles are in Jerusalem just waiting for something to happen. But as we look at the passage, we recognize that they did something with this time, that they, they had things that needed to get done, they had things that were happening, and so we have a really good help for us today about what to do when we find ourselves in seasons of waiting as we follow Jesus. And so I want us to dive into this passage today and look at just a few things that we see the apostles do when they find themselves in a season of waiting. The first thing I want you to notice that they did is that they were obedient and they prayed. In fact, really, if I was being honest with you this morning, if there is one thing I want you to get about times of waiting and the times where you're kind of waiting for the next thing to happen in your life or in your ministry or whatever it is, that the most important thing that you can do in those times is remain obedient to the Father and pray. When we jump into our passage, we see in verse 12 that they then they returned to Jerusalem. And this is important. This may just be like, well, yeah, obviously they did. But we kind of fail to realize that they had a choice. They were in, that says that they were on the Mount of Olives, so they were about a Sabbath day journey away, which was not very far, just a short distance from the city of Jerusalem. They were allowed to go there. It didn't, this doesn't necessarily mean it was the Sabbath when they did this. It just means that that's how far it was. And they were just a short distance away from Jerusalem, but they had a choice to make because from the Mount of Olives, they could go one of two places. They could go back to Jerusalem and go back to where they were staying and back to other, but they could have also gone on home. We don't always think about that, but Jesus has ascended. He's gone into the clouds. An angel has told you, hey, he, don't worry, he'll come back and he'll come back the same way that he left. And then, but then they could have said, well, I guess we can go home. I guess we can head on back to the, 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 the tax collector booth or back to the boat or back to whatever it may be. I guess we're done here. And they could have gone home. But that's not what Jesus had told them to do. In fact, it says quite clearly that Jesus told them, I want you to stay. If you remember back to our, our passage um, last week, he said, do not depart from Jerusalem again. I need you to stay here until you receive the Holy Spirit. Which means that they chose obedience over back to the normal grind, what was familiar. And so they did what God, what Jesus had told them to do. And that's something important for us to remember when we don't really know what the next step is, when we don't know what that is. And we could be talking about like big things. We could be talking about ministry, like I don't know where God wants me to serve in the church again, or I don't know where God wants me to be to do ministry, or even just big questions. I don't know where God wants me to go to church. We, you know, it could be that stuff, but it could also mean I don't know where I'm going to go to college. 
I don't know what my next career is going to be. I don't know what my next, uh, you know, big decision might be. And, and in all of those things, whatever you're kind of waiting for that next big step in your life, first and foremost, I want to encourage you, stay obedient to the Word. Stay obedient to what God is calling you to do, what God is clearly telling you to do in Scripture. We may not know what our next job will be. And God's probably not going to give us a burning bush or a talking donkey or whatever to tell us what our next job is, but he has told us how to live for him. And so until you get whatever motion, whatever movement that moves you in one direction or another, remain obedient. And let me tell you something. It is very, very, very tempting to not do so. Because when you find yourself stuck, what do you want to do? You want to make a change. And you want to do something different. And a lot of times when we find ourselves stuck, we want to make a change and we stop considering what God has told us to do and we start doing what we think we should do. But when we look at the disciples, we recognize the first thing that they did was choose to be obedient. And I would encourage you in the same way. But not only were they obedient, but then we find that they prayed. Verse 14, I love verse 14, it says, it says that the apostles along with the women and, and all of Jesus' family, notice what it says here, were continually united in prayer. This statement is, is really what, what Luke does pretty often, and it's called a summary statement where he kind of says, okay, what was the number one, what was the main thing that was happening while the disciples and, and the women and Jesus' family, while they were gathered, what was the thing they were doing? And the answer was prayer. If, they, if, if you were to walk in on them and say, well, what are y'all doing in here? They would have said, well, first and foremost, we've been praying. And we've been praying together, and we've been praying and, and seeking God's will and seeking what God's doing. This was the most important thing. If we could wrap up everything that happened in this week plus of waiting, they would say, we prayed. This seems like maybe something passive or seems like not really doing anything to us today, but it is my hope and prayer that this could be said of us as those who are followers of Jesus. What do, I always, I want, I really do, I want when people drive by this church, you know, I, I really truly believe that we've come to a place in our, in our day and age where people drive by churches and at the most they think, I wonder what goes on there. And I wonder if they finally took an extra step and they said, hey, do you know that Tunnel Hill church that we drive past all the time? Yeah, I know. What do you think they do there? And I was like, oh, I know what they do there. What do they do there? They pray. That is a praying church. Because I know so-and-so who goes there, and, and they're telling me all the time about the women's prayer group that, they, that meets on Thursday, or the men's prayer group that meets at Bub's Cafe on Tuesday, or on Wednesdays they get together and they pray. And when they get together on Sunday, one of the things that I know they're going to do is they're going to pray. This should be a key characteristic of the church. This should be a key characteristic of our lives, especially when we are waiting for that next step. We obey and we pray. 
and we go to the Lord and we keep going to the Lord. And, and you know, I don't believe for a millisecond that Jesus gets tired of our prayers. In fact, Jesus said that, that he doesn't. In fact, he, he instructs us, he uses the parable of, of the widow and the unrighteous judge and, and the widow keeps going to the judge and saying, give me justice, give me justice and, and never lets up. And the, and the story goes that Jesus tells that this judge who didn't fear man, didn't fear God, could care less, was only in it for himself, finally goes, I'm going to give this woman justice just so she leaves me alone. And then Jesus says, if an unrighteous judge will, will act and respond to you because of your persistence, imagine how much more your Father in heaven who loves you deeply. See, God does not tire of your prayer. And even if you continue to pray for the same thing every morning, every noontime, every evening, and day after day after day, he wants your prayers. He wants to hear them. He wants to hear what's going on in your head and in your heart. And he doesn't want just rote repetition, but he does not care if you are praying for the same thing and the same thing and the same thing until something happens. Paul actually said it this way. He said, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession, intercession for all the saints. We have been literally commanded to pray constantly. And even if it ends up praying for the same thing and the same thing and the same thing, it is what we have been called to do, and it is the best thing that we can do as we wait for that next thing. Not only did the apostles and those that, that were with them pray and, and remain obedient to, the, uh, to Jesus as they waited, but they also prepared. See, as we get into this passage, we get that statement that they were together and they were continually united in prayer, but then there was an issue that had to be addressed, and that issue was they were not complete Jesus had told the apostles in Matthew 19, 28 this. He said, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But see, there was a problem. And, and, and Peter and the rest of the apostles recognized this problem, and that was they weren't twelve anymore. But one of the twelve, Judas, Judas Iscariot, not Judas with James, Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, was dead. And now his spot was open. And so as they prayed and as they remained obedient to the Lord, they did not ignore the fact that they were missing one. They did not put off the decision, hoping that the decision would be made itself, but rather Peter addresses the issue and points to Scripture to reveal the truth about the situation and what they needed to do about it. Specifically, Peter mentions David, and he, he really goes into the Psalms to kind of help the, the rest of the followers and the rest of the apostles understand it. He uses some kind of different uh, verses, but they do fit within the context that he's talking about. And this is something important to remember because if we go back to the, 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 the book that, that's before this one, remember Acts is our only true sequel in the Bible, 
we can see how, how God had, Jesus had already kind of opened up their minds to the Scriptures. And so he, he points out two things using two verses from the Psalms. And he first he points out that the fact that Judas had betrayed them and was now dead was not a surprise to God. Jesus, and said so quite often, knew that he was going to betray and even know who would betray him. Peter points to the fact that we see this in Scripture in general. In fact, he specifically quotes Psalm 69, 25 to illustrate this point, the verse that says, Make your fortifications desolate, may no one live in their tents. This is a reference to uh, the field that was bought with the 30 pieces of silver that Judas had received for betraying Jesus. Now, there's other verses that Peter could have looked at. I, I was in my study of this, and where else does it mention this? In Psalm 41, 9, it says this, Even my friend, in whom I trusted, and who, and who I ate my bread with, has raised up his heel against me. And so, Peter just wants to begin by saying, listen, everything that's happened with, with uh, Judas was a part of God's plan. We can't, be, we can't be upset. We don't need to doubt or fear that something went wrong because as we stand here today knowing that Jesus has risen from the grave and ascended into heaven, we can recognize that all of this was a part of God's plan. But also, he points out that someone should take the place of Judas among the twelve. Then here he quotes verse one, uh, uh, Psalm 109 verse 8. And says, let his days be few. Let another take over his position. Psalm 109 is a song about those who had betrayed and accused David. And it serves as a powerful reminder of the judgment that awaits those who betray God's anointed. And so Peter takes these two verses and he, and he puts them together to say, listen, what has happened with Judas is not unexpected, and the Scriptures remind us that someone should take the spot of that one that betrayed. And so it starts with Scripture, but then Peter does something very interesting. Peter points out these verses and then says, so let's do this. He, in fact, he gives them some qualifications for the one who should fill Judas's spot. This person had to be there from the beginning, and by beginning, he means when Jesus was baptized. He had to remain in the ministry with Jesus in all of his comings and goings. And he had to be a witness of the resurrection and the ascension. Whoever this person would be would be someone who understood that what he was signing up for was to be an apostle, was to be one who had witnessed all these things and then went out to be a witness to go and tell people that Jesus was alive. I, I have to point this out that when we talk about what do we do when we find ourselves waiting for the next thing, and we see again, we talked about praying and obedience, and now we see Scripture and using the wisdom that God has given us. When we think about what do we do when we find ourselves, you know, waiting to make big decisions, waiting for big things that are happening in our life, we need to be into the Word, obeying the Word, applying the Word, doing what the Word of God says, but then we also need to use our good judgment, use the wisdom that God has given us. Again, we are not always going to have some clear sign from God. 
In fact, I would strongly encourage you, do not spend your life looking for signs and wonders. One of the reasons for that is, is odds are if you spend your whole life searching out God's special revelation for you in signs and wonders, you will see stuff, but that doesn't mean it's straight from God. But God has given you his word, and God has given you wisdom, if indeed you are in Christ and the Spirit dwells within you. And so, read the scriptures, obey the scriptures, and then use good judgment. Exercise wisdom. Read the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes so that you can develop your wisdom. And in fact, if you are here today and you're saying, but I feel like my wisdom is severely lacking, good news, go back to step one and pray. James 1.5 says it this way, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So as we find ourselves in that waiting period, as we find ourselves stuck, we should be praying, we should be reading our word, being obedient to the word, and doing what we know God wants us to do, and then we should, be, we should act wisely. And if we still don't know what is the wise and right and good thing to do, guess what you do? You pray about it, and you get into the word, and then you wait for God to make it clear. And like I say, it may not be some great, wonderful sign and wonder. But rest assured, God will provide you with all that you need in your season of waiting. This leads us to the last thing, which is they trusted God and they made a choice. I love this about the passage. It, Peter kind of gives them their, 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 the, the qualifications. He uses good judgment. Odds, you know, I'm certain based on Scripture and, and what, uh, what he had been convicted of in that moment. And, and they find this, the, themselves where it's time to make a decision. It says that they presented two options. The first was a guy named Joseph. I like people named Joseph. Work with one, made another. And then they give us, and then they give us a lot of information about Joseph. Did you see that? He's Joseph, Barsabbas, and Justice. Like we get all kinds of names on, for him. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we get Matthias. And they present these two and they say, okay, what should we do? How do we decide what to do with these two? Now bear in mind the Holy Spirit is not with them yet. You know, they don't have anything like that. So they're they're kind of operating on on, on Old Testament ways. So what do they do? Well, look at that. This word comes up again that we've been talking about. They prayed over them. They took these two men. In fact, I want to be very clear because it tells us what they prayed. It says, then they prayed, you, Lord, know everyone's heart. Show which of these two that you have chosen. See, they could have looked at the, at the appearance of them. And really, on the surface, we would assume that they knew a lot more about Joseph than they knew about Matthias. Because they had all kinds of names for, for Joseph. But they recognized that what they saw on the surface and what kind of was obvious to them maybe in the moment was not the things that God would care about. And so they took this decision and they handed it to God and said, God, reveal your choice for us. They prayed over these two, these two individuals and then they did something that might seem really weird to us today. 
It says they casted lots for them. Now, for us today, we, we would kind of look at that as, as saying, like, wow, they took this really, really important decision, the person that is going to become the 12th apostle, and they rolled the dice. And they gambled on who that person was. But believe it or not, this is actually something much more common in the Old Testament. And you see in their prayer what it was actually doing. Notice again the prayer it says, it says, Lord, you knows everyone, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen. And so this idea of casting lots was actually the idea of handing this into God's hand and allowing God's sovereignty to choose the one that would fill the spot. We actually see this throughout the Old Testament. One example is found in Josh 18, 10. It says it was at the very end of the conquest and the very last kind of point where they were settling the, the last few areas of the land. And it says this, it said, Joshua cast lots for them. This is the remaining seven tribes at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord, where he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their divisions. And so what we really see in this one, and we don't necessarily do this today, I don't encourage you to cast lots to, to decide on what, what your next job should be or, or uh, cast lots on which church you should go to. I really don't want to say, well, you know, we couldn't decide between the Baptist church and the Methodist church, so we threw some dice and it went snake eyes on the Baptist, so we're going to be Methodist now. That is not what I'm recommending here. Rather, what I am recommending here is, in whatever decision you make, trust the Lord. Trust Him that if He is allowing you to make that choice, that God is in it. Now, we have the Holy Spirit today. And, and if, you are, if indeed you are in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. And as you pray, I really truly believe that God will kind of move us along. But as God moves you along, trust him. And let me tell you, that's hard sometimes. And I use this story a lot, and I know some of you have heard this story too much, but I will never forget when we, my family, my two girls in the back there were much, much younger, and Joseph wasn't born yet, and God moved us along to Elizabethtown, Kentucky. I was 30 years old. My wife was 29. We had two little kids. We bought a house we could afford. I was working part-time here, was a full-time student. My wife was trying to find a job. We got here. I got here a few months earlier. My wife got here in, in June, and immediately as soon as my wife got here, I left because I went to the uh, Ichthus Festival in Wilmore, Kentucky, and then went to camp. And so my wife had moved to Kentucky, and her husband immediately abandoned her for like two weeks. And then I get back, and, and then when I get back, we go home. Or we didn't go home yet. And then the 4th of July came, and then the day after the 4th of July, on July 5th, all the sewage in the entire neighborhood backed up into my house. Filled my tub, filled my sinks, went out all over our floor. And I went to work and left my wife there because I didn't know it was going to happen. And boy, did she have words for me. And I remember we actually went home after that and visited family. And when we got back, 
the house had been cleaned up, but the floors were bare. Parts of the wall had been cut out. We were walking along on uh, just the wood. We had to put like, floor, like mats over the, the, the spiky boards that hold the carpet there. I'm sure there's a real word for that, but we'll call it spiky boards. And we had to put rugs over them so the, the kids didn't step on them and cut themselves. And I remember lying in bed one night. And my house is in that kind of disarray. And we didn't really have the money to fix it all at that moment. We were trying to figure all that out. And I remember lying there in bed in the middle of the night going, oh my gosh, have I made a huge mistake. Have you ever been there? See, sometimes trusting God when we make a decision is really hard because the process when we make the decision is not guaranteed to be easy. And sometimes when we choose to do something, when God moves us in a certain direction, when we finally make that choice and we go forward, it's not smooth. And we suffer loss and we go through hardship and we struggle But it's in those times that we need to trust the Lord even more and trust that he is accomplishing his perfect will. And so we see that in the, in the apostles. They used the best of their ability. They came down to two. They trusted the Lord. And believe it or not, it was actually Matthias that was chosen. Despite knowing more about Joseph's Bar Sabbath justice, we see even in this passage that God sees what we do not. And so the 12 are 12 again. And in just one more verse, we find what do they do? Look again at chapter, look at chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. I bet you can guess what they were doing. They were praying. See, things are going to change. And whatever that thing is that you're waiting for, it may not happen the way you think it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. But I challenge you today, be found faithful. <coughs> Recognize that the Lord is doing something that he is calling you into deeper trust, that he is molding you and preparing you, that he is filling in all the details that you may not even know about so that you're ready to enter into that next season. Pray, obey, prepare, and trust. And I'm confident that God will see you, see you through. Now, I would be wrong to not remind you that all of this is contingent on you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. In order to pray and obey, in order to trust in all those things, we need to first and foremost truly place our trust in Jesus. We need to recognize that the reason that these apostles, the reason that these people were willing to stay in Jerusalem to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit was because they saw the resurrected Jesus. And we want to challenge you today 
if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not placed your trust in him, everything I've said is not ready for you. And first and foremost, you need to put your trust in Jesus. We believe in this church that, that we are sinners, that, we, that God has a standard and that we have not lived up to that standard, that we have decided to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and we don't think about what God wants us to do, and that is why we sin. In fact, that is sin. But God, in his amazing love for us, sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins, and then he rose from the grave three days later so that we would no longer be dead in our sins, but we would be alive because Jesus is alive. And the Bible says that if you will place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, if you will believe that Jesus is everything he said he is, and you will trust him and put your faith in him, that you will be saved. And then these things become a reality for you. If you've not done that today, we would invite you to do that. I'm going to be standing right up front. If you'd like to have a conversation about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I will be here. But there are people scattered throughout this room that would love to tell you what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. For the rest of you, if you, if you find yourself in a season where you're waiting, waiting for the next job, waiting for the next thing, waiting for God to move. Are you praying? Are you obeying? Are you preparing? And are you trusting? Let's pray together. My God, my exceeding joy. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we praise you that, that your word is true. God, we recognize in, in life that, that you are always at work and that you are always doing something and you are always preparing us for what you would have us to do, for what you created us to do, as Ephesians 2.10 says. God, I pray that, that as we find ourselves stuck in the waiting room, Lord, that you would find us faithful. Lord, that we would trust you. Lord, that we would be preparing and that we would be praying. Lord, that we would be in fellowship with you as much as possible so that we can have trust and confidence that you are accomplishing your perfect will, even if we don't know what it is. God, we thank you because we know that even when you have us waiting, you have not abandoned us. But God, you are working in ways that we can't even fathom. Lord, help us to rest in that fact. God, if there's anyone in this room today that does not have a relationship with Jesus where they feel like they are stuck, but they don't have that hope, they don't know that, that you have good things in store for them, they don't get why you are, are, are having them wait, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they finally say, I can't do it on my own. I need to put my faith and I need to put my hope in Jesus. Lord, I pray that even now that the Spirit would be stirring up their hearts, helping them recognize their sin and their need for a Savior. And God, that they would respond by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. God, we praise you as we see you at work in all times and all seasons. 
And so, God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.